In the drama of redemption, there are many points in the script where God could have written us off. But in every act, he always brings a twist. One unexpected moment that changes everything. In all of our lives, there's a grand plot. I'm going to call it the drama of redemption. God is working to bring forth His purpose in all of our lives. The God, the author, He has scripted your life. He has an outcome. An author always has a moral, an intended outcome, something that he's seeking to accomplish. There is some message he's trying to get across. And the grand author God... For every heart, every life, God has this grand plot. But there was a twist in the plot. For you see in the garden of beginning in in Eden, God said to Adam and Eve, you can partake of everything. Everything is yours. This place was created for you so you you could fill the whole earth and make it God's home. We realized that we were created by God and for God. And God had one stipulation. His one stipulation is there's one tree don't eat of. You can have everything, but there's one thing don't do. Don't break this command. And and the tendency of man is always to test the boundaries. The propensity of the heart is to do it your own way. And we realize right there that God will not be the supporting actor in your life. God will not stand on the sidelines and and self be the star. We do it our way. We, we build our life around. And God, you just step in and out of the scene as I need you. And when I need you, go back to your place. When I get life settled down, God will not be your supporting actor. God, God wants to be the author of our life. And mankind failed in sin. And we knew that what was going to happen. Judgment was going to come. That's what God had said. But, but something happened. The plot would twist again. You see, judgment does not fall. The gavel of retribution does not fall upon humanity. And we're introduced to something, and that is the long-suffering of God. The long-suffering of God answers this question. If God cares, if God does not care, then judgment would have fallen immediately and humanity would have been wiped out because of disobedience and sin. But long-suffering answers the question, if God cares. And, of course, unequivocally, the answer comes, yes. But then time rocks on and another question begs in human history. What is God's response to our sinfulness? And we realize it's the mercy of God. The mercy of God tells us how God is going to respond to our wrongdoing, our sin. But we know God's long-suffering and God's mercy. But that's like the criminal. He's, he's facing charges. Okay, you're not going to go and you're not going to face the worst punishment. And you know that the, the judge is withstalling and holding back on the judgment. But really, where is my... Well, I will always be condemned. I will always have this hanging over my head. And then God steps in and he, He's going to show us why 
why he forgives, and that is love. So we see both the long-suffering, we see the mercy, and now we see the love of God. God extends his love to us. And I'm going to invite you to go with me to one passage of Scripture in the Bible, John 3, 16. For you see, God recognized we did not need an economist. We did not have a financial problem. God recognized that we didn't have an organizational problem. He didn't send us an administrator. It tells us in the Gospel of Luke that unto you is born this day in the city of David a, a Savior, Christ the Lord. God knew we, we, needed a redemp- we needed redemption. We had a sin problem. So the drama of redemption for God to reclaim and God to bring salvation to us, a Redeemer had to step on the scene. And we're introduced to the love of God, the most perhaps beloved passage of Scripture in all of the Bible, John three sixteen. Allow me to read it here. It tells us, For God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son, that whoever, that's all of us, every one of us, whoever believes in Him should not perish but have eternal life. There is in that one verse a word, a single word, that will rewrite all of our lives, rewrite our destiny, that will, that will introduce us to the drama of redemption. The whole plot of redemption will twist on one word, one, one-syllable word, two letters, but these two letters introduce to us all of God's best, even in the face when we are at our worst It's the word, so God so loved the world. An inconspicuous word that speaks so much to us. And if you you begin to think about the word so, I mean, it's used in so many ways in our our society today. Sometimes the word so is is used defiantly. You, You may talk to somebody and you may explain to them, this is what we ought to do and this is how it ought to be. And you explain it and you just reason with them and you make your case. And when you're done, they say, so what? Okay, sometimes, sometimes it's argumentative. There's an argumentative so. Have you ever had that with your son or your daughter? You shouldn't text when you're driving. There's a curfew and you shouldn't hang out and you shouldn't do this and you should do this and you're back and forth and then interspersed and that is so, but, but so, but, but so, but so, and you just, you can't get through because the word so just seems to dismiss all of the information you give them. Then sometimes the word so is a transitional word. Perhaps you're trying to wrestle through an issue at work and plan and get this done and here and here and here. And you're at a deadlock, as it were. There is a, there's a, just a tug of war. And somebody will just say, so what are we going to do tomorrow? It's a transitional word and it leaves, it leaves the issue uh, unresolved. Sometimes the word so can come across so insensitive yeah, you can explain to some your spouse or friend or a family member and you say, this is how I feel and this is what it made me come to and this is what I do and this is why I want to do it and this is, and I just feel this is so important and you put all of your emotion and they say, so what? So it, it can come across insensitive. Sometimes it can just be like it's not important. So, so, you know, uh, and, and then if you look up in the, in the thesaurus, 
You'll have all of these words that you say you can use instead of so. I, I really don't know if they, they work in John 3, 16. One of them is they say you could use basically. No, it's really, for God basically loved the world. I don't know about you. I don't like that. God basically loved the world. Uh, how about actually? God actually loved the world. I don't know. That, just, that seems to not have any, any, any heart to it. How about, remember a few years back when, when teenagers, the, the, kind of in their jargon, was the word seriously? I mean, God so seriously loved the world. I don't know about that. I, I, I don't think that quite gets it there. And remember when, when teenagers were, the word like was in their conversation? I mean, every other word was like, like God so like loved the world, like he gave his, like his only begotten son, like whoever believes in him, like shall not perish, like, like have everlasting life. I don't like like. It, 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 it muddles the message up. So what is the word so here? The word so in John 3, 16 is what's called an intensifier. It takes the object and it intensifies it and it extends it. God so loved, but I failed, but God so loved. I turn my back, but God so loved. You stack up all your resistance in your, and, and your case against it, and then all of a sudden the intensifier says God's love is greater. It's irrepressible. It's unlimited. It's unconditional. God, God so loved. It's an intensifier, and that means it includes everybody in you, this room. That means that no matter how much the sin of humanity, the plot can twist on one word. God so loved. And there are many of us, we've interpreted God so as, as a no. Yes. For some of us, it feels like a no. No, God can't love me. God can't work in my life. Somebody has said that we spend all week waiting for Friday. All year waiting for summer. And all of our life waiting for love. The one thing that, that they tell us is the highest quest and the, 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 the hardest drive and the most intense need of the human heart, of the, of the soul, is, is love. Love. We're looking for it. We're searching for it. We're que our quest is for love. You look in the encyclopedia. The encyclopedia will give you information about the surface of the moon. It will tell me about the ecosystem on Mars, how hot it is, and the, the difference between the sun and the shadow on Mars. It will tell me about the sun. It will tell me about its, its rays and how it will have a solar flare. It will tell me about little mice and whether they have hair and how their eyes work and, 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 and their eating habits. It will tell me about neutrons, protons. It will tell me about the neurological system in my body. It will tell me about the ecosystem on planet the encyclopedia has information on almost every subject you can imagine except one area. It says nothing about love. It's like we know everything there is to know about almost what doesn't matter. I mean, how a flea, the lifespan of a flea. But the thing that's the most important quest in the human heart, it seems like we know nothing about love. And we're searching for it where our quest and our heart is, is desiring it. And some of us, some of us, you said you're unwilling to receive God's love. 
There are people in this room, you came reluctantly. And you stiff-armed God. You keep God at a limit. And you're, you, you've said, no, I don't believe in that. And you, you've Googled this and you have an argument, a logical argument why you shouldn't and can't believe in God. And you put up this front and you said you're unwilling to accept God's love. But I really wonder, do you not have the ability to receive God's love? Is unwillingness just a front or is it really masking an inability, the inability to receive forgiveness? Because in your cause and consequence mentality and you think everything is A, B, C, D in chronological order, you have never been in a place where something that is undeserved, something that is freely given, that, that's nowhere in the economy of your heart and mind. And you have you have resisted it because of your inability to receive love. Yeah. In Matthew chapter 13, verse 44 and 45, there are two parables. Two parables that are each one verse, just almost a sentence long. And they talk about a, a lost pearl and a, a lost treasure. And the search, looking for a treasure, looking for this valuable pearl. Yes, yes. Have you ever went looking for something of such value you're searching for? I'm not talking about getting an Easter outfit and whether it's the blue one or the pink one or whether it's this. Or, no, no, I'm talking about a quest, looking for that most valuable thing, that treasure, seeking it out and, and trying to find it. Have you, ever, have you ever just went looking? Here a few months ago, few months ago, I told Denise, I said, babe, how about, may, maybe, maybe it's time to get you another, another ring. She said, amen. <laughs> so we went, we went jewelry shopping. I never go jewelry shopping. I, know, I don't wear jewelry. I'm not a, I know nothing about jewelry. So we go to a store and the glass cases of diamond rings just go, they're acres of it, just acres of diamonds and all different colors. And she's going by, yeah, yeah, yeah. And she's about a half a dozen. Have you ever noticed the price tag is not on the outside? You have to pull it out and bring it out. And it's, you need a magnifying glass because it's on this little tiny piece of uh, tape on the inside and they bring it out and she puts it on and she's doing this okay you know what I'm saying and and she's she's doing she's doing this and the guy tells us it's carrot and clarity do you know it's of this clarity and I shook my head like I knew what he was talking about and of this carrot size and I'm acting like uh, like I'm tracking with him but there's one important question that needs to be asked at this time. No one's asking the question, but I'm going to ask the question. There's one question that we need to ask at this time as Denise is doing this with the ring. I said, how much does it cost? And he said, oh, it's uh, 12200 And I chuckled. I said, no, I'm, I'm serious. I'm serious. <laughs> How, how much how much does this like he was serious he was serious and now denise is doing this and i'm 12200 and my mind is racing how do we get out of this <laughs> babe 
Do you know the ring that you have? The diamond ring you already have? Diamonds are forever. And when I put that on your finger, I felt like you would wear that for all of our lives. That ring means so much to me. And I just feel like the ring you have on your finger, I am, I'm attached to that one. And then a passage of Scripture came to my mind. Lay not for yourselves treasures here on earth. God gave me the verse at just the right time. Okay? And, and I said to the jeweler what everybody says when you don't want to tell them you can't afford it. Well, we're going to keep looking. No, we're not. <laughs> we're getting out of here, man. We're leaving us. All right, now let's go get a Slurpee or something. Let's get back down to reality here. You know what I'm talking about? The parable, searching for this great treasure. Now, I have heard these parables preached wrong for many years. I I have heard that Jesus is the pearl of great prize. That's not the right interpretation of that pearl. It's wrong. That parable, it's wrong. I've heard it preached that Jesus is the treasure. No, 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 no. Let me give you the correct interpretation of that parable. There is a man... And he discovers a treasure in a field. And he wants the treasure in the field. So he will go and he will sell everything he has. He will literally take everything that he owns, sells it. He will bankrupt himself, literally sell everything and take all of the wealth he has. And go back and he's going to buy the entire field just to get a treasure. Here it is. Christ is the man. The field is the world. And the correct interpretation of that parable, you are the treasure. You're the treasure. Hidden in a field. Other people could not see the treasure. Other people could not appreciate the treasure. But there was one. The master could see it. But in order to get the treasure... He had to buy the whole field. He had to get a lot of dirt with it. He had to get a lot of debris. He had to take on the expense of making sure payment was made for everything, every, every rock, every, every, the whole field, all of the, all of the debris. He will purchase it all if he can retrieve one treasure. You see, that's how God looks at you. God so loved, God so loved the treasure of you. He had a purpose, he had a plot, he had an idea, he has a dream for your life, and he was willing in redemption to pay the price for all of the sin of humanity if he could retrieve the treasure of your heart and your soul. He was willing to do that. Do you know in the natural economy, in the natural secular economy, the, the value of something determines its price. That's why they do appraisals. They appraise its value and they set the price. Whether it's jewelry, a house, an automobile, etc. Et they, they evaluate it. Here is its value. Therefore, this is its price. That is not true in the spiritual economy. In the spiritual economy, the value of anything is determined by the price. It's exactly the opposite. In other words, your value to God 
is not by the appraisal. Oh, if they'd have done an appraisal on my life, I'm unfit, I'm unproven, broken promises, went astray, that can make mistakes, will fail, will make promises and vow to God and then not follow through. My value was low. But you don't set the value based upon an appraisal. You set it based upon the price. He gave his one and only son. He didn't give angels and archangels. He didn't give galaxies or worlds. He gave his one and only son. The highest price that could be paid, God gave for you the treasure. Your value to God is not based upon your performance. It's based upon the price of his son for you and I. Amen. Amen. Yes. In Acts chapter 1, Verse 23, it's after the ascension of Jesus into heaven. It's before Acts chapter 2, before the, the 120 are gathering and the Holy Spirit will pour upon them in the upper room. There is a moment, verse number 23, in which 11 disciples have to select somebody to take Judas Iscariot's place. Now, I mean, think about it. To take, to take Judas's place? Those are not very big shoes to fill. I mean, this is the guy that betrayed the Lord. This is the guy that, 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 that committed spiritual treason. This is the guy that turned his back upon God. This is the one that said, oh, don't put the expensive perfume on Jesus. Let's use it for ourselves. He was conniving. He was selfish. And he betrayed the Lord for 30 pieces of silver. And they're going to pick somebody to take his place. You don't have to be a spiritual giant to take Judas's place. I mean, to succeed, all you got to do is stay saved a few days and not have charges filed against you. I mean, there's not a lot you have to have together in order to take the place of Judas Iscariot. I mean, the bar is set very low, and they're going to choose out of two men. They will vote between Matthias and Justice, and Matthias is selected. Judas, Justice is not. Justice? Justice didn't get one vote. Not one vote. And the bar of spiritual excellence is set low. You just, you're filling the betrayer's seat. And he doesn't get one vote. Justice. It kind of sounds like just us, doesn't it? Just us, not one vote. Just us, no one saw worth in. Just us, no one thought we had spiritual potential. Just us. But here it is. Because of one letter word, one two-letter word in John 3, 16, God so, so loved we realize God loves us just as we are, but God loves us too much to leave us just as we are. Yes, His abounding love. John 3.16 does not say God loves you if It does not say God loves us when. 
It does not say God loves us because. It does not say God loves us since you started going to church, since you broke off that, since you stopped doing that, since you started doing right, since it doesn't say that God loves us so much. Let me put it in words that we can grab. God doesn't love us because God loves us regardless. Regardless of our brokenness. Regardless. And the plot of redemption twist on God's long suffering, God's mercy, and God's love. He refuses to walk away. He refuses to give up on you and I. There is a poem I want to share with you. It's, it's a poem that was found written interesting enough on the walls of a psychiatric unit. There was a room in which a man lived and died. And that tortured mind and tortured soul. And this psychiatric unit lived in this one room. I cannot imagine the torment that he went through Maybe moments of, of sanity and then moments when he was not himself. But he would live and die in that room. And after he passed away and they removed him, his body, from the room, they found these words, these words written on the wall. Was it written during the night in which a moment came and in the torment of his mind and soul he sensed God's love. I don't know. I don't know if it was the, a moment during the day in which, which he had a, a season or a moment when things clarified and he cried out to God, God, deliver me from the torment and the conflict. I, I, I don't know. But he had such a moment because he wrote these words on the wall. Could we with ink the oceans fill where the skies of parchment made? Where every stalk on earth a quill and every man a scribe by trade to write the love of God above would drain the oceans dry. Nor could the scroll contain the whole though stretched from sky to sky. He had a moment. When he, when he didn't understand the rest of life, he understood the love of God. For you see, God so loves. And I'm going to lead us in a prayer moment right now. And some of us have used the excuse, we're a good person. We have our life together. You, you talk about your accomplishments and your awards at work. You talk about your grade point average. You talk about how life is just, you, you, you have it down, but you realize the plot, the author, his intention in your life is not being lived out and that God has something more. For some of us, it's the inability to receive forgiveness. You have never been in a place where you have been given a break and somebody Somebody in the face of your mistake said, I still believe in you. Some of us have the profound rejection of, scar of rejection in our life. And some of us, honestly, 
Our life is a litany of mistakes, broken promises. We're in, we're in stuff now that you know isn't right. You excuse it, but in your heart of heart, in your soul, you know it's not right. And some of us feel like we're unloved. You've turned God's so into a no, no. No, God can't love. God won't love me. But there is one word that intensifies God's love. The writer of the poem said, if you could write it above. If the, if the ocean was ink, it would drain the oceans. And you still cannot fully tell of God's love. God so loves. He doesn't love because he loves regardless. And I'm going to invite you to know God's love in a personal way we call salvation. At Westover Hills, we call it making new, in which somebody calling upon the name of the Lord can have a making new moment. And I'm going to invite you right where you're seated to have that making new moment. You say, how? I like to say it's as clear as ABC. A, you acknowledge you need God. B, You believe that Jesus Christ is God's only Son. C. You confess Jesus Christ to be your Savior and Lord. He doesn't want to be a supporting actor. Savior and Lord. And if you will do that today, on this resurrection day, God can change and God will change your life. And I'm going to invite you across this auditorium, balcony and main floor, front to back and side to side, to bow your heads right now. And we're going to go in a prayer moment. Everyone, balcony, join me, please. Main floor, join me. Bow your heads. Every head bowed, every eye closed. And now, and now, you have a private audience with God. The Holy Spirit is auditing your heart, and He is speaking to you. He's posing the question to your heart now. It's not my timid words. The gripping sense that you feel is the conviction of the Holy Spirit. And God is calling you in to His grand plot. Your life is not empty. Your life is a treasure. And can I tell you, the Father's been looking for you. And He paid the highest price that could be paid. He gave His one and only Son. And if you'll ask Christ to come into your life right now, God will do that. He'll honor you. He'll honor your faith. Would you do it now? Father, there are people all across this auditorium, different journeys, but everyone has the same need to have Christ as Savior and Lord. And as they acknowledge their need of God, and they're here today, that testifies they believe Jesus is God's one and only Son. But now it comes down to this, to ask Jesus to forgive them and confess Jesus as Lord and Savior. Sometimes we want to go halfway, Jude. We want to say Savior, but God continue to be the supporting actor in my life. But God has something more and God has something different. And I pray the Holy Spirit will, will summons them to a full heart confession. Perhaps they've wondered, perhaps there was a time they were serving God, but... Now they're not. Perhaps they've been caught in the thicket of mental argument. They have a case why they shouldn't and don't have to believe in God. But their soul tells them something else. 
They can explain every part of the human being except the soul. And it's that emptiness in the soul that still perplexes them. And they sense the Holy Spirit calling them to a faith commitment. And as they say, Jesus, forgive me. Jesus, come into my heart. Jesus, take my life. I pray, God, you'll honor them. You'll honor this moment. And let the grace of God's forgiveness wash away the sin and the perplexity, the confusion, the arguments, the guilt. And give them a making new moment in Jesus Christ from this moment on. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.
Hallelujah! The day I finally saw Jesus, the day I finally saw Jesus when I couldn't see Him before, His love came abounding in my life. And when I could finally see Jesus, my life changed. My life changed. The grand plot of my life turned when I could finally see Jesus. Let's sing it again. Would you join us? Yeah. 